Hello, and welcome to Texas Family Doc Talk. I'm Jonathan Nelson with the Texas Academy of Family Physicians, coming to you from the satellite office of TAFP headquarters, also known as My Closet, in Austin, Texas. This is our fifth episode of Texas Family Doc Talk, and we're recording this on Tuesday, May 5th. As of this morning, the CDC reports there are more than 1,170,000 cases of COVID-19 throughout the country, and more than 68,000 people have died due to complications of the disease. Here at TAFP, we are working, as always, to curate resources and information for our members, so keep an eye out for our TAFP News Now emails and visit the COVID-19 resources page at tafp.org. Our guest today is Dr. Tim Martindale, a family physician with an independent practice in Waco, Texas. A month ago, on April 5th, he became ill with COVID-19, and a few days later, his wife became ill as well. They've both since recovered without ever having to go into the hospital, and we're very glad to have him here to tell us about his experience. Dr. Martindale, welcome, and thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. How are you and your wife doing uh, these days? We're still a little bit weary. I'm back to working in the clinic, but I'm seeing about half the number of patients as my stamina is still quite low. And your, and your wife, how, how is she doing? She came down with the illness a couple days after me, so it seemed like she was a little bit behind me, but actually began to pr- improve a little bit before me. So we're both about the same spot right now, both very tired and weak and continuing to recover, but able to get quite a bit done now. So you say that the virus hit you on April 5th. Uh, describe what that was like. I think one thing that helps to think about is the mentality I had. Back in January, my son, who's a family doc in New York City, texted me and, and texted me a note and just said, hey, there's an unusual new virus coming out of China. And so ever since then, I've been reading about it every single day. There's numerous websites, numerous Facebook groups where we read, and I'm sure all of us as physicians are weary reading about this and clogging our minds with constant details about what's happening in China and Italy and New Orleans and New York City, all over the world and country as we've been reading these stories. So I was, I was very aware this was coming and that I was at high risk. Uh, so for me, there was an element of minor dread. I'm 62 years old. I'm, I had a heart surgery bypass uh, almost three years ago. And I'm a little overweight, so I knew I was all the risk factors for being one of those ones who didn't survive. So knowing that, I decided to continue what I was doing in my clinic, but to limit COVID exposure by not testing there. So we continued to see patients every day. Being aware that I was at high risk, I suddenly became very motivated with my diet and lost about 12 or 13 pounds over the next couple of weeks seeing patients knowing that we were possibly going to see some asymptomatic carriers. So I was probably exposed on the Friday before Sunday. And on Sunday, it hit about 6 p.m. It was not a light thing. It was a powerful anvil knocking me down. I felt it 
right off the bat with an extreme sense of lethargy. My body felt twice as heavy as normal. I felt disconnected from my mental processes. My hands turned icy cold and my feet as well. My nose began to profusely run with clear fluids and I, my cough began to be there. And I had a sense of of a wiredness about my body that there was clearly an inflammatory response beginning that was very powerful. Wow, that is quite a description. Um, now, you have a busy practice, uh, and so this was a Sunday, and you were scheduled to go into the office on Monday, I'm sure, right? I was, yes. I have, I'm have. i a single provider family medicine with a nurse practitioner working in partnership with me, and I'm on call pretty much all the time and have been for many years uh, I did hospital full-time until my heart attack a couple of years ago, but now I'm just doing outpatient clinic. And so I was fully expecting to go back to a full schedule the next day. So immediately when I began to have those experiences, I knew I was done for some time. So I texted my nurse practitioner partner, let her know I was done and I was gone and it was all going to be on her. And then my manager to let her know there was a lot of work that was going to be needed to do to reschedule patients and to figure out all the questions that we'd have. You were ill for how many days total, do you think? Two weeks was severe, and then one week was mild. Um, so, yes, I would say 12 to 14 days was unbearable. And then the next week was in recovery, steadily getting a little bit stronger, but clearly still contagious. During this time, you were journaling. Let's see, you were journaling uh, on Facebook with daily posts and also on the website of KWTX Channel 10, a local CBS news affiliate in Waco. Is that right? Yes. I've always, I've always had a background in communications. My first degree was in journalism at the University of Texas, and I worked as a newspaper journalist and then a magazine editor in Washington, D.C. In fact, it was while I was a magazine editor that I decided to go back to medical school in my mid-30s. So I've always longed to communicate effectively. I've always written small ways of articles and uh, magazines. When I've been president of the Medical Society, I'll oftentimes do a, a weekly newsletter to all the physicians. And so many things I've done have communicated. I've also felt it was important to communicate accurately with the public because I felt that many times the people who speak out the most are the people who know the least. The people who are the busiest of physicians have no time to communicate, and yet they're the ones who know the most accurate information. And so I decided, as it was a priority in my life way back, that I was going to make time. So I've done five or 600 interviews on local television over the last 20-something years. I've had a weekly program in the past. I've written articles in the newspaper, and I've written articles uh, all across the city. And, in the, and so people are accustomed to me communicating. So when I thought about doing this, even though I felt awfully terrible, one of the first things that came to my mind is that this is an opportunity to help people understand really what's going on. I, I think there's such a fear factor that people have about this virus. It's almost like the boogeyman in the closet or the monster under the bed. And there's a fear that's almost psychotic that much of our country is going through. And that's contributing significantly to the psychiatric effects 
of both the economic impact and the fear of what could happen and the fear of our death. So I felt it was crucial that I chronicle it in a way that people understood it. They felt they had more information, real information, accurate information for my solidly trained, well, thoroughly studied physician and scientist who could communicate in a way when everybody's wondering what to believe amongst all the crazy stories, they could believe me. Well, we uh, we share an alma mater. That's why I got my journalism degree at the University of oh, Texas. That's great. <laughs> Reading your blog posts and your uh, on the on the news site and also on Facebook, I was uh, I was engrossed um, and really following along. Um, Reading back over them, I really get a sense. You can really get a sense of sort of the ups and downs um, of of this disease, and uh, and and there were some really dark days in there. There were, in fact, just before our talk here, I thought I'd just go back through them, and I was viscerally shocked by the power of what. It brought back of memories of how powerful the virus was and how hard it hit me. What are some things you did that helped you get through? I think there were a few things. Knowing that it was probably inevitable that I'd be exposed to it just because I was going to continue to see patients on a regular basis every day. I felt it was likely it was coming my way. And so a few weeks beforehand, I, like I mentioned before, I decided to lose some weight. So I, I dropped down to a 1,200-calorie diet, did some steady exercise, and sure enough, dropped 12 or 13 pounds over the next couple of weeks, few weeks. And so that was one thing. The second thing is, again, knowing it was coming, I began to do breathing exercises. So I took deep breaths several times, holding it in and then expelling it. And I did those breathing exercises several times a day. I also did prone breathing exercises and laid down face down on a bed and then would breathe prone because we were seeing that many people were able to heal the best in a prone condition. That's why they have people in ventilators and they put them in a prone position. So I began to practice prone breathing so I'd be ready to be on a ventilator and get through that time. So the weight loss and the... Um, uh, the breathing exercises. I worked extremely hard at keeping my fitness maximized and keeping my positive mental attitude at its highest. I worked hard at getting extremely good rest and really set aside any kind of influences that were negative and focused on positive messages, messages of courage and faith and hope and thanksgiving kinds of things so that I felt that my immune factors would be at their highest possible rate. You mentioned your um, your faith. You were a pastor before, at some point in your career. Is that right? I was a pastor of a Bible church in Austin for eight years, and then in the eighties. That's correct. Oh wow! Well, what role you know do do you think your your faith uh, played in in helping you get through this? I think it was very powerful role. I think one thing is there's. Um, a great sense of peace I have about death. I feel quite confident what's going to happen when I die. And I feel quite confident with a sense of contentment about my life's work. So there wasn't a sense of panic, even though I knew that the chance of me dying with this was quite significant. That didn't trigger a sense of panic that sent me into a spiraling 
type of thing that made me anxious and blood pressure affected and and my immune system dropping because of that fear. So I think that's one factor is it set me up so that my emotions were even, so that my immune system was maximized, so there's a sense of peace about, it was a very clinical sort of thing. Uh, Almost like, yes, I'm being attacked by a gorilla, it's eating my arm right now, and I'm thinking, this is what I need to do. So instead of being caught up in the adrenaline of the moment, and I'm, I'm, unable to think clearly, I think my faith made me able to think very clinically, very factually, and focus on what it was going to take to try to improve. Throughout the time, the same thing happened. I feel like my faith was very strong to give me a higher immune response, as well as to give me a sense of hope in the midst of it, as well as to give me a sense of stick it out and keep stepping forward, even though you feel like giving up. And finally, as my blog began to be read by thousands of people, I don't know exactly how many, five or 10,000 at least, read it every day. And as that was read, many of them expressed their desire to pray. And so I had many thousands of people messaging me that they were praying for me on a daily basis. And even though Everybody has a different opinion about what prayer does. I'm convinced there is a power to it that probably also contributed to getting me through some of the humps and some of the disasters that I was experiencing. You've been the uh, the patient and the physician now in this situation. So from the from the physician's standpoint, um, what what do you want to tell your colleagues about this disease? And then from the patient's standpoint, what do your colleagues need to be thinking about that the patient's experiencing? I do feel that my patients have valued quite greatly the suggestions I've given them how they can prepare. So the issues of maximizing their immune system through positive attitudes, exercise, good nutrition, good sleep, uh, positive faith kinds of messages, those kind of things, along with the breathing exercises uh, that I've been doing, I think those things, many of my patients have said, you have given me tools that make me feel enabled, empowered to grasp this and to know things that I can do should it hit me as well. So I think that's one thing is patients are calling their doctors all the time in fear with tons of questions, and they want some very pragmatic, simple answers that make the, that make the patients feel prepared and enabled, empowered to take hold and charge of their health. So that's one thing is I, I think it's easy to say, I don't know what to tell anybody because there's still so much uncertainty. I think we need to be communicating tangible, positive, practical steps for our patients that give them a sense of hope. So that's probably one of my bigger things I feel. I think a second thing is every one of us that are seeing patients realize there's a significant chance this is coming. And so I think that all of us as physicians need to be doing things ourselves that are preparing the way, expecting that the illness might come. My case was rather severe and difficult and I think quite close to being life-threatening at about three different times. So it was probably more severe than many experience. But in my case, in my 60s with a heart condition and overweight, I think it did set me up to be in the higher risk 
And if I had gone to the hospital, I'd have probably been pretty quickly put on a ventilator. And I had less than a 50-50 chance of surviving at that point. So I think there's a, ra a rationale that we as physicians need to have that in all likelihood, we're going to face this and need to be prepared for it. Dr. Martindale, were there were there unusual things that came up during the during the course of the illness that you found surprising? Yeah, I think I found about three times I found myself feeling close to death. The first time was the first night when my blood pressure went into sky-high numbers and I felt that my body was under incredible distress. It required that I do every 30-minute vital signs throughout the night and adjust medications that I've discussed with my both my family physician and my cardiologist ahead of time that I took medicine throughout the night to get myself through that night. Otherwise, I think that first night could have put me in the hospital quickly. Day six was the second time. And this actually fits what we've heard about with other people. About the 10th day after exposure or sixth or seventh day of actual illness, many people hit a second surge of virus, a second inflammatory response. And I think there was an unusual thing that happened. Aware that I was feeling a little bit better, there was also an incredible sense of panic that overcame me. And even though I've been a remarkably stable, even-handed, mentally person, I was shocked to find that panic attacks and panic and anxiety overwhelmed me for a number of hours. About 12 to 15 hours, I felt overwhelmed with emotional panic and and, uh, and anxiety, and it kept me straight up through the night, and I felt a great sense of impending dread of death. And so that next day on a Saturday, I spent much of the day talking with family members and people I trusted and know well, people who are very rational and very thoughtful about things, share with them the experience of my emotions, and they kind of talked me down, which I think helped me not collapse, which was somewhat becoming inevitable, not collapse into a process where I failed. And I think I was close to death at that time. A third time was when you just think you're over it after two weeks of incredible pain, high fevers, and everything you're experiencing, feeling unbearable every day. Suddenly there's a letting up, and then there's a feeling it's coming back in a third time. And at that time, I felt I was so weak from all the fighting that I was close to being vulnerable to collapsing again. So I was surprised by the intensity of the first night, the six or seven day time when it came and hit me with emotional, overwhelming feelings of panic and anxiety and mood. And then when I thought I was almost over it, it coming back and almost causing a complete collapse. There are a lot of people, uh, you know, in the media and uh, just out and about who uh, who are really downplaying uh, this disease. What what do you have to say to folks who say is COVID-19 is not really a big deal? There's some things that seem to be really unique. Um, in some ways, you certainly can understand why people think that COVID's not any different than the flu. When you look at just the numbers or the kinds of symptoms or the even the description of it, just another coronavirus, which we've seen for decades. We've known about coronaviruses of all kinds. We've had vaccines for them with animals. We've dealt with them all kinds of ways. We've had tests in our clinic that found coronavirus in people numerous times. So there is an element where we can take it lightly. I think there are some unique things about this. The, what we think 
that triggers an incredible immune response that gets out of control and results in more disaster. Secondly, there's that cytokine cascade we've read about that seems to happen in some people that triggers uh, numerous things, including lung failure and kidney failure and other organ failure. And then finally, we found out that there's even some other things we didn't expect, skin manifestations uh, and a co a coagulatory problems where people have a chance to risk uh, causing strokes in younger people or causing blood clots to happen much more quickly. So there seem to be some pretty serious complications of COVID we haven't seen real often. Now, we certainly have had those with the flu. All of us as physicians have had patients who had a case of the flu that just suddenly went into hyperdrive and took someone's life quickly. So in, there are ways it's very similar to the flu. And a lot of the symptoms I had were similar to the flu. But the duration of this, the fact that we had no vaccine preparation for it, the fact that we had no herd immunity or previous exposure to this virus, and the, some of the unique severities of it with the inflammatory cascades are different than what we've really seen with the flu before. So I think it's a new animal, a scary animal. But on the other hand, many people make it. And if we really look at the, the data about it, most people are going to get through it just fine. So there needs to be an awareness of its unusual opportunities for severity, but not to the point of panic that makes us forget that most people are going to get through it okay. Well, Dr. Martindale, I am so I'm so happy that you and your wife are are doing uh, so much better and that you came through this. Uh, we we need you and we need your voice. <laughs> And uh, uh, so from, from everybody at the Academy, uh, thank you, and, uh, and, and we're thrilled that, uh, that you're better. Thank you so much for, for coming and on the show and talking with us about this. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks again to Dr. Tim Martindale of Martindale Family Medicine Clinic in Waco. Thanks also to the team at TAFP for making all of this happen. We'll be back with more shows soon, so subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show at jnelson at tafp.org and visit us online at www.tafp.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Nelson for the Texas Academy of Family Physicians, and this has been Texas Family Doc Talk.